We're back in our series in the book of Hebrews. If, uh, if you did venture back here after Easter, welcome, glad you're with us. We've been uh, studying a book called Hebrews uh, where the, really the primary uh, message of this book is stay with Jesus. Uh, it's written to people who were, uh, were fully invested in Judaism and, uh, and then they heard about Jesus Christ and began to follow him. And as they were following after him, their, their, because of their association with Christ, because of their allegiance to Jesus Christ, uh, some pressure came their way in the form of persecution. It began uh, uh, pretty innocently with a public humiliation, some ridicule, uh, and it sort of festered and grew into uh, some public beatings and imprisonment and loss of property, uh, being shunned by family, and, uh, and you, you could probably uh, understand why someone who's experiencing that much pain would want to distance themselves from the source of that pain, speaking of Christ. Because of this association with Christ, then comes this, this persecution. And the writer is doing is he's saying, no, stay with Jesus because it's in Christ that you have life. And, and hold on, hold firm to the end. Finish well. We've been going through this letter, going through this, this book. Uh, we worked our way through the doctrinal section, and now we're in the practical section. Now we're in Hebrews chapter 11, which if, if, uh, if you know your Bible much, you, you, you know Hebrews 11. It's a, it's, a, it's a chapter of faith. It's all about faith. And uh, if you got your Bibles, uh, make, your, make your way there to Hebrews uh, 11, uh, because I, what I want to do is I want to read uh, that, that text this morning. Actually, I'm just going to read the first six verses, and, and as I do, what you're going to discover is, uh, is that, well, there's, there's something that, uh, that, that God admires. You, you know, when I was in high school, and I, was, I, I played high school basketball, I had a coach, his name was Coach Penland. Penland, uh, you, you, could, uh, you could shoot a lot of threes, you have great percentage at the free throw line, uh, you could do a you know, great job of, of, of grabbing rebounds, but that, while that, was, that may seem impressive on the basketball court, what Penland uh, admired in his players was hustle. See, if you didn't hustle at practice, if you didn't give 100% on the, on the court, it didn't matter how good you were on game day. Chances were you were not going to get much playing time because Penland admired hustle. You needed to hustle. That's what he respected. When I worked for United Parcel Service, when I first got hired, I knew that I was being hired, and I was entering into a 90-day probationary period. Period. I had friends of mine who worked for UPS, and they told me, Steve, you need to know something. On your 90 days, they're watching you closely, and you don't want to ever be late, and you do not want to be sick. Uh, because at UPS, they admire, they are pleased by punctuality and dependability. And if you're late or you're sick on your 90-day probationary period, there will not be a 91st day. They will not call you back. I had a seventh grade teacher. Her name was Mrs. Ingram. Mrs. Ingram was impressed by neatness and organization. She, she liked good penmanship. And when you turned in a paper or you took a test and your paper was neat and your writing was very organized and neat, she loved you. But if you were not organized and if you were not neat, uh, you, chances are you weren't going to get a good grade on that assignment. She admired neatness and organization. So when I played high school basketball, I hustled because that's what Coach Penland admired. When I worked for UPS, I was never late and never sick because UPS admired and was pleased by punctuality and dependability. When I went to seventh grade in Miss Ingram's class, uh, she admired neatness and organization and two out of three ain't bad. 
you know what I mean? <laughs> Look, you have things in your life too that you are drawn to respect and admire and be pleased by. And, and, uh, and, and you know that in some of your friends. And when it comes to our relating to God, you need to know that there's something that he admires as well. It's something that's gonna be, it's gonna be very clear as you look at Hebrews 11. And if you know Hebrews 11, you know the answer to it. It's faith. It's the one thing that, that pleases God. It's the very foundation to our relationship, our friendship with him. And as I read these first six verses of Hebrews 11, it's just gonna be painfully clear that it's impossible, just impossible to bring God pleasure, to please him, to honor him without faith because God admires he esteems, he is pleased by a person of faith. Stand with me as I read the first six verses in Hebrews chapter 11. <clears throat> faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. This is God's holy word, and you can be seated. It's pretty clear. It is impossible to please God without faith. So we better be certain that we understand what faith is. We need to make sure there's no ambiguity about what faith looks like. And, and so we, we, we need to be crystal clear on this. And there have been a lot of illustrations, a lot of pictures of, of what faith looks like. I mean, some of you have heard this the illustration uh, that that. Sitting in a chair, or in this case, a stool, is, is a picture of faith. That that wooden stool, uh, when I go up to it and I put my full weight on it, it can support my full weight. That that, that action of, of putting my trust in a chair to hold me up is, is, is faith. But is it a picture of biblical faith? I was watching a YouTube, a YouTube clip um, this, uh, this past week. It was a high school pastor, and, uh, and he, was, he was trying to help his high school students understand what biblical faith, uh, biblical faith is. And so he took this dramatic step. He had a, a, a pretty tall ladder up on a platform, and uh, he, was, he was standing on the, the sort of the bottom rung of the ladder, and he had some from friends around him that were behind him, uh, pretty strong, beefy guys. And he was, as he's doing his talk, he's, he's saying that, you know, as you walk with Christ, you take these steps of faith, and what you need to know is as you take steps of faith, that God's got your back. And so what he would do is he would just climb the ladder. And the higher he got, the more anxious you get. 
even watching it on the internet, on YouTube. And finally, he's, you know, he's about three quarters of the way up the ladder and he's looking back at his friends and saying things like, you're gonna catch me, right? And they're like, oh yeah, yeah we're gonna catch you. And, and he goes up higher and then he gets to that part of the ladder, you know where it says, do not stand above this level. He's standing there, he's on top, the very top of the ladder, standing there, and he's saying, look, if you put your faith in God, you need to know God has, my, has your back. He turns around to his friends and says, you guys got my back, right? And they say, yeah. He crosses his arms, and he just leans back and falls, and, and they catch him. Yeah, I know, it's like, why would you do that? <laughs> now that's courageous, but is that faith? Is that a picture of biblical faith? Another illustration that's often given for faith is getting on an airplane. I mean, think about a first-time flyer. They, they get on a plane, and they're trusting that when that plane takes off, that it's going to not only leave the city that they're, they're flying out of, but it's going to actually land in the destination that they want to go to, and it's going to get there safely. So sometimes the idea is given that if I get on a plane, that's a step of faith in the manufacturer of the plane and in the pilot who's in the cockpit. But is that a picture of biblical faith? Is that what faith looks like? You see, in, in all those situations, all those pictures, what you have is, is steps of trust. I'm trusting the stool will, will hold my weight I'm trusting that my friends are going to catch me. I'm trusting that the plane is going to take off and land safely. But the reality is in each of those situations, faith is being expressed in what is seen. Because you're all sitting in a chair today and no one fell through the chair. I've, I've seen people sit on stools. I've seen people sit on chairs all the time very safely. So is it really faith for me to sit down when I've seen people do that all the time without any harm? I mean, when you're standing at the top of the ladder and you're crossing your arms and you're gonna fall backwards, that is courageous, but when you look back over your shoulder and your friends are all down at the bottom, you see your friends. You know, you're, you know they're gonna catch you because you probably practiced. Right? You, you see them. When you, when you go to get on a plane, you know that planes take off and land very safely day in, day out. Yes, on, on a few instances, there are accidents, there are tragedies, but day in, day out, planes take off, they land, and when you get in that plane and the pilot is in the cockpit, you know very well that he or she has passed all kinds of examinations and they cannot get into that cockpit unless they've been trained. You see planes take off and land safely. You see chairs hold people's weight. You see your friends going to catch you. Friends, those are, those are great illustrations of trust and courage. But they are not pictures of biblical faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Faith is the confidence that we hope for. What we hope for will actually happen. That's half the definition. And so we have confidence. We're hoping. Our hope is in that the chair will hold us. But there's a second half and it says this, it gives us assurance or confidence about things we cannot see. Faith, biblical faith, is, is, is doing something, putting your trust uh, in, in something or someone that you cannot see. My friend Sundar Krishnan defines faith this way. It'll show up on the screen behind me. Faith is acting on the basis of an unseen reality. It is action 
prompted by the reality of what is invisible versus what is visible. Let me read that again. Faith is acting on the basis of an unseen reality. It is action prompted by the reality of what is invisible versus what is visible. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 makes it pretty clear. We walk by faith and not by sight. So what would be a good picture of biblical faith? What would help us understand what it means to walk by faith and not by sight? To not live our lives by a visible reality, but an invisible reality. So I've turned to a good friend to help me out in this. His name is Indiana Jones, and I think he gives us a great picture. In the movie, The Last Crusade, you're gonna see this. He's following the book. He's come to a place It says to go straight, and he's gonna have to take a step of faith. faith right he's following the book the book says go this way but there's this giant chasm it looks like it's going to be too dangerous doesn't make sense but Indy has got to take the step of faith and he cannot see how he's going to make it across yet he takes action that is prompted by a belief in the unseen so Puts his foot out and steps. And some of you are there this morning. Some of you are wondering, can I take this step? Maybe it's just in the beginning of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe it's a circumstance that you're in. And it, it's a step of faith. Faith is action 
prompted by a grasping of the unseen reality, which is when you get to Hebrews chapter 11, why you see all these, all these uh, names uh, of people who have taken action. Faith is not just believing the right things or having orthodoxy. That's great. You need that. That's where we build a foundation of faith from, but orthodoxy is not the end of faith. James chapter 2, James is writing to Jewish believers. Uh, James says uh, the, these, these words as he's talking about, uh, about orthodoxy. Maybe he didn't say those words. Oh, there they are. Okay. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and, they're, they, and they tremble in terror. Demons have orthodoxy. They, they know what is true. Faith is not just knowing or believing the right stuff. It's putting faith, it's trusting and believing, yes, the right stuff or, or, or doctrine, but then it's out of that, it's taking steps of faith, not based on what you can see makes sense, but what sometimes doesn't seem to make sense at all, which is how these names uh, got into Hebrews chapter 11. I mean, listen, I'm just gonna read the things they did, just a, a few of the things, and listen to the, the verbs that are used to define how each of these people went indie on the world. Took that step. By faith, Abel offered. By faith, Enoch walked. By faith, Noah built. By faith, Abraham went. By faith, Abraham offered. By faith, Isaac promised. By faith, Jacob blessed. By faith, Joseph spoke. By faith, Moses' parents hid. By faith, Moses refused, chose, left, commanded. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea. By faith, they marched around Jericho. By faith, Rahab welcomed the spies. By faith, they overthrew, ruled, received. By faith, they shut the mouths of lions. By faith, they escaped death. By faith, they were tortured, jeered at, whipped. By faith, they were stoned, sawed in half, killed. You see how these, these people of faith, they, they weren't just people who believed the right stuff. They had orthodoxy, but their orthodoxy gave birth to orthopraxy, which is practice that, that is based on a grasping of the unseen reality. And then when you go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, what you get is really the negative to, uh, to what he is saying here. Hebrews 10, 38 uh, says, and my righteous ones will live by faith, but I will take no pleasure in anyone turn, who turns away. It's like at the, at the cliff and, and not willing to take the step of faith and turning and going back. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Faith is what God admires. He admires people who, who have a grasp of the unseen reality, of invisible reality versus the, the visible, and they take their steps and they go forward believing God. You ever had one of those moments in your apartment or in your home where you're walking at night, the lights are all off, and you're making your way through your home or your apartment, and you're used to a certain path being clear? I mean, it's dark, 
and you know how to get from point A from point B from the couch to the kitchen or something like that. And so you're walking, lights are off, and you're walking just full pace because, I mean, a little bit slower because it's dark, but you know the way, and suddenly you stub your, your toe on something or you stumble over something that wasn't supposed to be there, and suddenly you're a little bit angry. With, how could they do that when really you should be like, I should have been more careful? It, does that only happen to me, or, or does that happen to you too, okay? It happens to you? Well, here's my question. How do we grasp the unseen when we can't see it? How are we supposed to know what the invisible reality is if you can't see it? Well, the answer to that question is in verse 3. That's why the writer goes on to say, By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. That's what we now, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. What the writer here, he's, he's not, this isn't an evolution versus creation thing, because obviously evolutionary theory wasn't existing then. That, that's not where he's going. What he's saying is, how do we see what's invisible? How does what's invisible become visible? And so what he's using here is the example of the, of, of the creation of the universe. How was the universe created, as, as, we, as we learn from Genesis? God says, let there be light, and there was light. We have all these, let there be, and there was. Let there be, and there was. Let there be, one phrase, which by the way, that's what the word universe means. One phrase. Interesting. One phrase. So how did, how was what was invisible become visible? The voice of God. So for us, how does what is unseen become seen or what is invisible become visible? The voice of God. That's the point of verse three. What he's saying is, listen to God. Live your life based on what he says, so have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying or be someone who understands that this book, the scriptures, are merely a capturing of the voice of God, the words of God. The scriptures tell us that, the, the, that the, the, word, the word is God-breathed. God's word, it's God-breathed. And so, in order to understand what the unseen is, we need to listen to the voice of his spirit and the voice that comes from scripture. And as we do, then, then we can take our steps because we are convinced of what the unseen, invisible reality is. Now, verse three also has a, a pretty deep philosophical trajectory here because it says the first four words are, by faith we understand. So here's the question. In fact, Augustine, a brilliant mind, uh, Augustine, when the church fathers asked this question, do I believe in order to understand or do I understand in order to believe? Pretty important question, don't you think? Do I believe in order to understand, or do I understand in order to believe? Augustine then answers that question and, 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 and answers it for himself. This is what he says. Augustine says, we do not understand in order to believe. We believe in order to understand. Now, this is where skeptics or people who look at the church go, you guys are kooks. You got the whole thing backwards because this is how they define faith. One skeptic 
defines faith this way. Faith is the power of believing what you know ain't so. Another uh, skeptic defines faith as this. Faith is the illogical belief in the occurrence of the improbable. Another skeptic says, faith is the boast of a man who is too lazy to investigate. Or one more. Faith is the belief without evidence in what is told by one who speaks without knowledge of things without parallel. You see, when reality is based on what is visible, this is exactly how you define people of faith. It doesn't make sense. But when you understand that faith is a belief in the unseen reality, and that an understanding of that unseen reality gives birth to knowledge, well, then you understand what the writer of Hebrews is getting at, and you understand when you walk in that, it pleases God. And really, when you boil it all down, even the most militant, atheist, scientist, however you want to describe someone who's just so opposed to faith, they, they have to agree that in life, we all have to take a step of faith. Now, I just want to give you an example of, of why that's so. And for some of you, you're going to go, I didn't understand a word he said. That's okay. I barely understand it, and I'm the one talking about it. But every single person takes a step of faith. And it's simply this. How do we know what we're hearing and seeing right now is reality and not just some sort of dream? How do we know this is real? I mean, how do we know we're, 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 just, we're just not in some state of consciousness that is, that's not reality? Or as one Hindu philosopher puts it, if I am a man and I go to bed at night and I have a vivid dream that I am a butterfly and then I wake up in the morning as a man, how do I know that I'm not dreaming that I'm a man when I'm really a butterfly? Still with me? The reality is, is that we have to assume that this is real. We have to take the step that, and, and a step of faith that this is real. And even the most atheistic person, even the most person who just doesn't believe in God, not because they're bad people, but because they, they, they look at what is visible versus what is invisible, they too have to take a step of faith. And when they do, that's when they have knowledge. That's when they experience reason. That's what the Bible's saying. By faith, we understand. So, we know that faith is action that's prompted by the, by the unseen, a grasp, a firm grasp of the unseen reality. And we all take faith, and biblical faith is action prompted, prompted by that belief that what God says is true. And so... What happens is, is that God calls us to take these steps. See, the reason why this is even important in the book of Hebrews is because what the Hebrew writer is trying to say is that there's no more temple. There's no more priesthood. There's no more altar. It was visible. Now it's invisible. So he's telling them, stay with Jesus and grasp the unseen reality of your great high priest. That's, why it re- that's how it relates to Hebrews. Let's talk about how it relates to you and I. 
Because you and I also need to understand that we live our lives, we must live our lives in, in faith because God admires people of faith. He takes pleasure in people who go indie on the world, right? Who believe and hear the voice and step forward in faith. You ever put a, um, you know, a nut on a bolt and you know, you know the phrase, right? Righty-tighty, lefty-loosey. We're used to righty-tighty. You know, you, you, put a, you put a nut on a bolt or you, you're, putting a, some, you're putting a screw in the wood or, um, or whatever. It's righty-tighty, lefty-loosey. But you know that there are certain occasions when it's not righty-tighty. It's lefty-loosey. You know, you're putting bike pedals on a, on a bicycle. One of them is righty-tighty, the other one's lefty-loosey. There's certain fittings that are reverse threads. Now, listen to some of the reverse threads you find in Scripture. Listen to what the voice says is the unseen reality in how we're supposed to take steps of faith. How about this one? Love your enemies. Doesn't sound like righty-tighty, does it? You know, how about forgiveness? How about they hurt me? They, you don't know the pain I went through. You're right, I don't know. I'm just saying, this is, this is, the, this is life in the unseen kingdom of God. We forgive those because as we forgive, we are forgiven. Um, lose your life and you'll find it. Lefty Lucy, isn't it? Gain the whole world. Lose your soul. What about giving your first fruits back to God? There's tension there. What about sharing your faith? What about the reality of hell? What about when we do this and we worship together? Do we really believe what the psalmist says when he says that, that God inhabits the praise of his people? Do we believe that as we lift our voice together that God's presence is magnified? Would that change the way we worshiped? You see, when we listen to the voice, what we realize is that while everyone else is doing righty-tighty, God's called us to live a lot of our life lefty-loosey. And it doesn't make sense. It's because we're living our life based on the unseen versus what is seen. We live our lives and take steps of faith based on what the invisible reality is versus the visible. And that's faith, and God admires it. And there are many of you in this room this morning who are people of faith. And let me just ask us a, a very important question. Just, just as a way to kind of engage in a conversation, maybe you have this conversation a little bit later in the day. The question's gonna show up on the screen behind me. It's, it's, it's simply this. What are one or two areas in my life that I'm living on the basis of visible reality? What are one or two areas in my life that I'm living on the basis of visible reality? Where I'm doing what makes sense because it's visible Yet, God says something else, yet I'm standing there and I just, I haven't, I don't have the faith to step out. 
What are one, of those two, one or two of those areas? 